Hey guys, welcome back. Thank you for joining me this week. This week it is just me. David is out of town. Next week he's he's going to be back with us and, and we're going to keep going through this stuff. But we're going to actually get started. Um, last week was just our overview. Um, I, I I hope that, that 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 can still stay relevant as we go through this stuff because I don't ever want to lose the big picture. And if you ever feel like you're you're getting... You know, if if we're taking too much time and you're like, oh, well, I don't I don't even remember the big picture of this. Go back, listen to episode one uh, or do your own research and then have have the big picture in front of you so that you are understanding what Paul is is getting at through through his book to the Romans. So let's get started. I am just going to go through verse three. And the reason for that is because. The, the the stuff that I'm going to cover today, I'm only going to have time to, to, to cover what we, what we talk about to verse 3. So, this is Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Now, we talked about Paul being a servant to Jesus last week when when he had his watershed moment uh, on the road to Damascus. Uh, Paul was radically changed, and then he was called to be an apostle. And and more than any anyone else, he was he was the apostle to the Gentiles, to the non Jews. He was set apart for the gospel of God. Now, the gospel of God <clears throat> that he's talking about is is this good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ who has come. He has fulfilled the law in our place and and all we have to do is believe and trust in him and we're saved. And then he says which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures. Now, that's interesting. So there's promises in the Old Testament about Jesus doing this work. And the answer is yes. The problem was, we'll get into this more later, but it was a mystery that was hidden by God because in order for his for his plan to get carried out, um, they basically, whoever was involved in this plan had to be blinded uh, to that. That that involves Satan, that involves uh, Israel. Israel never would have crucified Jesus if they knew that he actually was the Messiah. They thought that he was just a blasphemer, you know, someone else claiming to be a prophet like Moses. <clears throat> so this was promised beforehand, but just because it was promised beforehand doesn't mean that it was understood. And then uh, we get to verse 3, uh, concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh. So Jesus is God with us. He's he's God incarnate. That's that's true, but he he also was promised and and we're going to get into this that that he was going to come from David. So last week pretty much answers verse 1. So really what we're going to be dealing with this week is verses 2 and verse 3. So let's go and turn to Isaiah 11 chapter uh, 
Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch... Oh, I should stop here. Jesse is uh, David's father. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So we're promised here that this person is going to come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So just a really easy, easy, easy answer to that is in Matthew 1.1. Matthew here, he gives us a genealogy from Abraham to Jesus. Okay. And, And David is included in that, obviously. But in verse 1, we get the the summary. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he talks about this is the father of this guy and blah, blah, blah. Y'all have seen those before. They're hard to get through sometimes, and I can't say that I've read every one. But um, if if you want, this is just a side note. I'm not going to read all of this, but it is interesting. If you go to Luke, Luke 3... 23, um, Luke gives a genealogy of Jesus, and he traces it all the way back to Adam. So, that's cool. Uh, There's some names here that I can't pronounce, so I'm not even going to try. Like, uh, Sheel Teal? (laughs) I don't know. Y'all have probably encountered those, and you're like, well, I'm glad that I'm not having to speak this out loud, and I'm reading it in my head, (laughs) because I've done that. So, we have this promise. Let's go back here. We have this promise that that this Messiah is going to come through a descendant of David. And we have the the writers of the Gospels confirming that that Jesus is from from that line. So, we know that, that that checks out. You can take your check mark and put that on that box. Now, another thing that was required of the Messiah was that he be born in Bethlehem. So, so far we have born a descendant of David and born in Bethlehem. Now, by the way, I am not going to be able to go through all of this stuff, all of the requirements. Um, I'm just picking some things and then showing the fulfillment of them uh, in in Scripture. So, there's there's way more much, much more information here. Uh, and hopefully maybe that's something that, that after hearing this, y'all would want to go and check out, but let's get back over here. So born in Bethlehem, let's go to Micah chapter five, verse two, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
Um, th- there, there was two Bethlehems then. That's why we have this this extra part at the end here. It was to show that this was this was the the Bethlehem in in Judah. So, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah? From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So we have this this prophecy says, hey, this guy has got to come from Bethlehem. And guess what? Jesus checked that box. Let's see, where is that at? That's in Matthew. Let's go look at that. Matthew chapter 2, yeah, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. So, there we have that. You know, check that off the box. He was born in Bethlehem. So, those... I mean, that's cool. You've got descendant of David. You got born in a specific town. But then after that, we get into something, you know, really crazy. And I'm sure if you're familiar with the story, you already know what it is. Jesus, or the Messiah, was to be born of a virgin. Now, that, (laughs) that doesn't make much sense at all, does it? How can a virgin give birth? Well, let's look at where this was promised. This is Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So if we go to Luke, we can see actually when this this was fulfilled. Because that is a... That is a miracle. And and what I think God is doing is he is he's making it harder and harder for for anyone to fulfill these this any of this and be the Messiah uh, apart from from being a part of God's plan. He's making it impossible. You you just can't. Like no no one could do this. No one could orchestrate all this. Uh even if you could do all these other things. Uh, there's no way that you can make yourself be born of a virgin. So, um, let's read this. What did I say? Luke one thirty-five. This is this is the angel talking to Mary, explaining what's about to happen. Uh, let's back up a little bit. I think I went too far. Okay, uh, verse thirty-one. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob for Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? So we see that Jesus fulfilled that. So, I'm going to go to another passage, and this is actually where I wanted to get, to get today because I want to spend some time on this passage. I, I like all, all, all everything that we've talked about so far is great, but I want to share with with you Psalm 22. But before we go to Psalm 22, let's go to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to go to chapter 27. And 
about verse 40. Let me find this, 45. Okay, verse 46. Now, this is, this is, Jesus is about to die. Okay, now, when I, when I read this, I didn't understand this a long time ago, but I'm going to hopefully explain this to how, so, so that it can make sense. And it says, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, <clears throat> if you don't understand what's going on here, and, and I definitely didn't originally, I was like, why, why would Jesus make this statement? He, he knows what's going on. He's, he's in on the plan. Like he, he knows. Um, then in the first century and, and even before that, the, the the Jews didn't have what we have, and I think David and I maybe went over this in 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 the overview. So if I'm repeating myself, I apologize. But that they didn't have a chapter and verse layout of the Bible. What they had was was most of the time people would read orally in in the synagogue, and you'd go and you'd listen and you'd memorize this stuff. And then if you wanted, you know, if there was a particular passage, you'd, you'd get it on a scroll and then you'd go look at it and study it. But it wasn't broken up into chapters and verses uh, like, like we know them today. And so what the Jews would do is they would memorize different parts. They would have all this knowledge in their head. And, and when someone would say something, they would be like, oh, man, I, I, he's referring to that psalm, or he's referring to that prophet in the Old Testament. Um, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. Jesus here is, by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The, the, the Jew then, listen to this, they knew exactly what they meant. They knew that he was talking about Psalm 22. Um, so let's go, let's go to Psalm 22. First of all, before we get into this, let's let's talk about a few things. Jesus died probably around 33 AD. That's what most 33 34, however you want to say it, that I'm not arguing that point here. He died around 2000 years ago. This psalm was a psalm of David and it's most of the time it's dated around 1000 BCE. So what that means is this was written about a thousand years, roughly, before Jesus even existed as a man on earth incarnate. Okay. Um, now, another thing I did, I did just a, a short little research into the history of the crucifixion because there in this psalm, what we're going to see is um, in the psalm we're going to see someone suffering, and this suffering is very specific, and there doesn't seem to be many uh, types of punishments or or um, persecution that fits this bill that this lays out for us. So crucifixion was started by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Now, the Persians took it in the 6th century and they really started to refine it. They it was systematic where they were that they had a system of what they were doing. They they had it down. Now, Rome, the Romans got that from the Persians and they further refined it. Um they had all these things just to a T. And it's it's just a 
it's a gruesome, awful way to die. It's terrible. Uh, but the Romans were really good at killing you <laughs> in different ways. Um, we, we didn't really see any crosses until Roman times either. Before then, it would just be a, a, a stake, you know, a tree, and, and it was just a post. Um, but but the Romans the, the Romans brought in crosses, so keep that in mind. If some people say that crucifixion was around three to four hundred BCE, um, about some people say the sixth century is when it you know was was adopted by the Persians. Either way, it was not around in one thousand BCE when this psalm was being written by David. So that's very interesting because there are things in here that that seem to only point to crucifixion as being the suffering that's being suffered. And it wasn't even a thing then. It's, that's, that's crazy to me. So let's go back. <clears throat> Let me get my notes pulled back up. Psalm 22. Um, let's just go through this and I will I'll add things in when we need it. So verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Boom, there it is. That's that's Jesus. He's like, hey, Jews, you know the psalm, go read it. I'm literally fulfilling it right now. It's about me. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. That's verse 8. Let's stop there. And let's go look at it where we see this. Matthew 27, which is really close to where we were before. Listen to this and, and tell me if this doesn't sound similar to you. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. That's almost word for word. These people were wagging their head. He trusts in the Lord. This is verse 8 of Psalm 22. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So let's, let's go on to, to verse 9. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. 
and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Um, This next part is, is interesting. Verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like, is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Man, that is a, is a hardcore description of some suffering. So, <clears throat> I've got a resource here. This is from uh, www.apu.edu. This is a medical analysis of crucifixion. Uh, let's start. Let's start here. The difficulty surrounding exhalation leads to a slow form of suffocation. Carbon dioxide builds up in the blood, resulting in a high level of carbonic acid in the blood. The body responds instinctively, triggering the desire to breathe. At the same time, the heart beats faster to circulate available oxygen. The decreased oxygen due to the difficulty in exhaling causes causes damage to the tissues and the capillaries begin leaking watery fluid from the blood into the tissues. This results in a buildup of fluid around the heart and lungs, the collapsing lungs, failing heart, dehydration, and the inability to get sufficient oxygen to the tissues essentially suffocates the victim. The decreased oxygen also damages the heart itself, which leads to cardiac arrest. In severe cases of cardiac arrest, the heart can even burst, a process known as cardiac rupture. Jesus most likely died of a heart attack. So if we go back and look, the death of Jesus. Um, This is John 19, verse 34. They were they were trying to make sure that, that he was dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Hmm. So it seems that, that it's a possibility that Jesus' heart ruptured. So if we continue, let's go back to Psalm. 22 verse oh well no before we move on um my tongue sticks to my jaws the amount of blood that is lost causes extreme dehydration uh and that would be that would be an extreme dry mouth and his body literally could not could not replenish the blood could not replenish the water and and so he was extremely dehydrated and we see that you know he was he was very thirsty um verse 16 for dogs encompass me a company of evil doers encircle me they have pierced my hands and feet now side note jesus's hands in in the sense that uh in our english english language 
our hands, what we think of hands, is probably not what was pierced. More than likely, it was his wrist. Is That's actually where the stakes were driven. Uh, there's not enough in your hands to actually support your weight for that amount of time so they would go through the wrist. Um, the reason that there's a disconnect here is when they would say hands in, in their language, it was, it was a much more general term, and it would be the lower forearm to the hand. It would encompass all that, where we now, um, we, we think of the hands as literally just probably, you know, from, from your wrist down. Um, verse 17, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Now, this is very interesting. Let's look. Um, John nineteen twenty four. This is um, <clears throat> this is the soldiers. They took his garments. Let's let's start in twenty three. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts: one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see, to see whose it shall be. This was to fill, fulfill Scripture. So we see this fulfilled. Um, and I, I know that I've already said it, but I'll remind you again. This is David a thousand years before Jesus comes on the scene talking about this stuff in in great detail. He's he's describing a death of a person that he doesn't even know in a suffering like a a a way of death that, that he's not even aware of. Um so let's continue. Verse nineteen But you O Lord do not be far off. O you my help come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Um, I want to skip a few verses here. All this stuff is is relevant, but for the sake of time, let's go to verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord because of this servant. Okay, they're they're going to turn to the Lord, and this this servant is is a Jew. <laughs> So we're talking about a Jew that that is going to make everyone in the earth turn and remember the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. So that's that's another time that we're just like, yeah, that's Jesus. That's that's the, the most famous Jew in all of history ever. And and all over the all over the earth, he's being worshipped, and and people are worshiping the one true God because because of this person that Psalm twenty two is about. Um. There's there's another passage that I don't think that we're going to get in tonight. Uh, most of y'all know it. It's Isaiah fifty two and fifty three, but there's there's countless examples. Go go look that up. Read that. C- compare that to. To what Jesus suffered, and and how how he was he was testified of 
in the Old Testament, and he fulfilled it perfectly. He didn't just fulfill the law. He was fulfilling prophecy. Um, and it, it really is neat. And it really is only something that God can do in his sovereignty. So next week we'll pick this back up. Make sure to check back for that. Um, We're going to continue. I'll have David back with me, as I said earlier in the episode. And um, we'll just keep going through this. And we'll see you then. Thanks, guys.